Welcome to a window into oblivion. Human perceptions alter faster than one can realize it. A quaint, serene hamlet can turn into a claustrophobic black hole, while a stifling city can appear liberating. A cool evening breeze may cause a burn deep within while a suffocating smoggy draft can feel strangely rejuvenating. As with all things human, the mind loves to play tricks on us, trapping us inside the labyrinthine depths of our own imagination from which some of us never find a way out. The distinction between the sane and the insane is therefore that fine line which can on occasions so easily fade. But how does one define insanity? When does one know that one is going insane? How does one know it and most importantly, can one ever find a way back to sanity? On the outskirts of the state of West Bengal lies a township. Guarded by armed policemen on all sides, protected from outside interference by high walls that have, for over seven decades, stood to keep the boogeyman out. Here streets, lined with rain trees and tall deodars, cross one another at right angles. An open-air auditorium fills up to evenings of Indian classical music concerts. A small toy steam train chugs around a park, its coaches filled with over-eager children. Here overflowing lakes drain into bigger lakes, which drain into bigger ones still, which finally empty themselves into a river that turns to a brook every summer, its banks dotted with white eucalyptus trees. A small hill overlooks a large oval ground, home to parades on national holidays, rows of red brick structures that have stood since independence, a school endearingly referred to as Little Eton, and a factory, the heartbeat of the town. The factory, a national asset, works as all factories work, sustaining the lives of 80,000 strong who depend on it directly, and over a billion of those who do so without realizing it. Our story does not involve the factory, though without it perhaps there would be no story to tell. Our story begins at Little Eton. It had none of the grandeur or history which define its namesake, though the area that it sat on was quite large. A church and a convent functioned as its soul, with nuns clad in white acting as its guardians. The church was simple, a long edifice stripped bare of most ornaments that one might hope to find in older colonial Catholic churches. There were no stained glass windows, pipe organs, memorial plaques of long-gone colonial masters, or Latin inscriptions proclaiming the words of Christ. The piano had been replaced by the modern keyboard synthesizer decades back, and a drum kit sat on one corner, waiting only to be uncovered during the next Eucharistic celebration. Out of the church, the path narrowed down as it led to the school. And this is where everything started, 16 years back. 
It all began 16 years ago when as a toddler I walked in for the first time through the portals of our little Eton. Blackboards framed in wood, walls painted sterile white with metallic slate-like borders, long narrow dark corridors with high ceilings, doors opening into large empty classrooms left behind an impression of having entered a colorless, lifeless void. I could not make much of it then except the fact that I was scared, afraid yet for some odd reason strangely attracted to this uninviting place unlike anything my childish mind had ever comprehended before. The quest to belong, to exist and be acknowledged as a living breathing soul has been eternal. Man has killed to etch his name in the pages of history. conquered maimed nations have trekked from progress foreheads of men have bled for no wounds for fast forward 8 years on the threshold of high school i was among the 150 odd students being coaxed into learning the periodic table by rote blackboards had given way to interactive smartboards The corridors still as dark and long were now every second under surveillance. High schools all around the world, one cannot but agree, function like one big jungle, each with its own implicit rules, codes, secrets. One is expected to be a certain way, behave a certain way if one ever expects to be accepted as a member of the club. As with teen blood, Rebellion is the norm defines the definition of cool. Much like those corridors, every moment of every day, every one of us in Little Eton was under surveillance, and not just by the authorities. We were caught in a seemingly eternal tug of war between what was cool and what was correct. I found myself tangled in it. I found my interests, my affinities to be in contrast to those around me. In high school, there is no middle way. You are either in the club or you're not. My obsession with the English language, the poems that I wrote trying to cope, or the times I spent in the library walking by selves, stacked with Hardy and Dickens, when I should have been out there playing football erected, a wall that would forever keep me out. Many look back at their school days with a certain degree of fondness and with fair reason too I should add. I have fond memories I harbor too. I remember that little excursion to Calcutta on my very first inter-school competition. How the centuries-old Portuguese cathedral by Brabon Road housed us for the night. How those yellow street lights cast a sort of enchantment on the streets of a tired city. How the cathedral bells told every hour even in the dead of the night the city would jump back to life the next morning buses would fill to the brim tilting menacingly to one side heavy with people holding on to its open doors almost to the point of spilling out yellow cabs would honk their way through unreal traffic but for that sunday night As we walked back from Millennium Park to our dormitory up the wooden staircase the city was for once asleep 
walking past the old buildings looming over the streets like apparitions. I found a magic I would crave to be a part of since. But these memories also evoke darker ones. Empty benches beside me, name-calling, an overprotective household restricting my movements, what I did, hindering the little scope that I had at explaining to the world who I was, memories of me desperately trying to appropriate identities just to belong, turning slowly into a pompous little braggart, seeking constant validation, kicking with all my strength at the walls that confined me, rebelling, rebelling against the authorities that proved to be so myopic and constrictive. On the outskirts of the state of West Bengal lies a township, guarded by armed policemen on all sides, protected from outside interference by high walls that have, for over seven decades, stood to keep the bogeyman out. Or perhaps the bogeyman was within throughout, shielded from the rest of the world amid rain trees and deodars, clean and empty streets that intersected at right angles. The spectres of the past still reside in me, time and again. As the song goes, the memories fade, but the scars still linger. There are times I feel a thousand eyes staring me down. There are times I still feel confined, drowning into myself. There are times I still question where I belong. Looking at a mirror rouses feelings of self-censure. And the list goes on. Today, I'm back at the same place I broke away from, back into the same system I rebelled against. The walls have closed further in. The gates to the world outside feel eternally shut, manned by men in uniform. Sometimes the sense of confinement triggers buried emotions, some of them so intense that, but for a little restraint, would drive a man figuratively and literally insane. Every day, I tread that fine line that separates the sane from the person who has lost his mind, hoping I survive another day, hoping I do not slip into insanity, closing my eyes to relive the moments when I would look at the skyline of Calcutta from atop the 14th floor, when I would walk the empty streets at midnight, lit yellow by those very streetlights that had enchanted me years back. Do I seek sympathy out of all of this? No. Empathy, then? If you so wish. But most important of all, I think it's time that we acknowledged our feelings, emotions, and the tempest that they create within us. It is not unmanly to be emotional or to like books or to try to perfect a language. It is not unmanly to choose not to study science or to want to sing in a choir. It is not unmanly to not swear at every word or to like being indoors or to stay away from fights. Today, past bullies have become advocates for mental health though they would themselves never acknowledge their contribution to the problem, let alone atone for it. This lockdown has affected us all, unearthing skeletons that have come back to haunt us. It is ours alone to bear, 
hours alone to exorcise, hours alone to carry and bury back. And the road to it is treacherous, but it must be done. All that one can do is perhaps to lend the other a listening ear, offering the imprisoned mind a window out of the walls that confine it, a window into oblivion, helping it dream again of the infinite possibilities that lie beyond, showing the way out of the insane mess that it finds itself tangled in, back to its rational self. A little act of kindness at these times can go a long way, save lives. It is time we treated one another with love and cured wounds rather than inflicting them upon people who thought or acted differently. It is time we bridged divisions, healed scars and celebrated difference. It is time we manned up. Thank you for tuning into episode 2 of Memories. You were listening to A Window into Oblivion and I will catch you on the next one.